GameZillaMedia.com. It's time for the last action podcast. Pop quiz, hot shot. Hey, motherfucker. I feel the need. The need for speed. Kill it. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Come with me if you want to live. Welcome everybody to this week's episode of the Last Action Podcast. I am LPJ and joining me, my two sidekicks, co-hosts. I'm sorry, co-hosts. Don't give me the face. It's co-hosts. I know. Hovercraft Joe. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> it's fixed. <laughs> See, this is why this is why you're a sidekick. <laughs> I'll kick your ass, man. I'll kick your ass. Sidekick. I'll kick you your know ass. what? If if somehow that themes the theme music we're gonna play, if that followed you around, I would let you kick my ass. <laughs> that would be amazing. Oh yeah. Uh, totally. man. Anyway, so this yeah. week. We are talking about really a classic of the 70s, but a classic kind of within the zeitgeist of, of films in general, uh, Enter the Dragon. Yes, we are. Um, before we get to Enter the Dragon, though, we should probably talk about Patreon real quick. Is that all right with you, LPJ? Since, you know, we're the sidekicks, I want to make sure that that is okay before I continue forward. I got to give you something to do. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, okay. So, patreon.com slash GameZilla Media. Uh, that is where, if you would love to support our show and all the other shows on GameZilla Media, uh, we uh, have an opportunity for you to show us a little bit of love and support. We've got two tiers, a $1 a month tier and a $5 a month tier. And uh, if you sign up for the, the $1 a month tier... Uh, it's a nice little thank you, but you also get a extra show on the network called State of the Zilla. Uh, I just recently was on that month's episode where me and Xander from the Legend of Retro, we actually got to talk about the Foo Fighters for an hour and how much we love them. And we ranked our favorite albums on it and all that good stuff. So if, you, if you're into music and all that, but the State of the Zilla has all sorts of different random kind of conversations that go up. Uh, each and every month. And I know LPJ and Hovercraft Joe have been on past episodes as well. But we also have the $5 tier, which with the $5 tier, you get an extra show from each of the shows that we have here on the GameZilla network. So us here at Last Action Podcast, every month coming at you, we do the post-credit scene where we just talk about other things about movies besides a specific movie. So this past month we were actually going over the, the Marvel cinematic universe updates uh, for the next few years. And then we also talked about all the star Wars updates. Uh, and we gave kind of our opinions and our thoughts of how we thought it was all going to play out. So uh, give us a listen there on our post credit scene. Uh, five bucks a month really helps uh, support us and the team and what it is we're trying to do here. So yeah. Check us out. Back to the show. That's right. Enter the Dragon, 1973. Which, I, this is like our third or fourth oldest movie we've done on the podcast, I believe. Yeah, I would say outside of the Bond movies, this is the oldest film we've done. Yeah. That's and, incorrect. Incorrect. We did The Searchers, and that was Oh, Searchers, old. that's right. That was from the 50s. Yeah, that's our oldest. But yeah, outside of, I think, Goldfinger, uh, I think that was it. So I think Goldfinger and Searchers and now this guy. Because I think even um, Five Deadly Venoms, which was the other um, martial arts film we've done, that was the later 70s, I believe. Yeah. And then you guys did Assault on Precinct 13, which I think was just a few years later. I know that was Hovercraft Joe's favorite movie. What about the good, the bad, and the ugly? Didn't you do that? Oh, yeah. That was the 60s. Yeah. That's true. Good that call. was Fistful of Dollars. And it was Fistful of Dollars. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, I, I, it was before I was on the show, so I don't really pay attention to that. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're I'm the sorry. one that kind of remembered, so. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah. Uh, so it's one of, the, one of the films, one of the older films, uh, one of the oldest ones that we've done. 
But LPJ, you definitely said it right about the how iconic this movie is sure. uh, to our genre, and, and it'll definitely be something we talk about. But you got some numbers for us, Overcraft Joe? Uh, sure, yeah. Um, and I, I kind of mentioned it to you guys, but um, the, the earlier we go back, the less I feel like they kept track of like numbers as well as they do now. So it's all like, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Uh, release date on this is August 19th, 1973. Uh, it had a budget of $850,000. Now, the worldwide gross is where I run into some problems about to what the actual worldwide gross was. The initial number I saw said the worldwide gross was $350 million. Then I saw they said it was $90 million, but I also saw, and this maybe is the most accurate number, that adjusted for inflation, it's like a $500 million gross. So... I, Take it however you want. It made it. It made a lot of money. I guess is <laughs> is, is what to take from it. Um, uh, Rotten Tomatoes on it is ninety four percent, and the audience score is ninety two percent. And again, the top grossing movies in nineteen seventy three. The best I could find. Not as much accurate information as usual, but uh, the top three were The Exorcist, uh, The Sting, and American Graffiti. And this movie would have come in, uh, looks like about 13th for the year in the box office. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I've actually seen all three of those movies. So, yep. uh, um, so what was your guys' first kind of experience with Enter the Dragon? Uh, this was it. Uh, I, I saw that it was on Netflix, and... I've been kind of wanting another, I've kind of wanted to scratch that itch of another martial arts film since we did um, Five Deadly Venoms. Um, and so I'm like, hey, Enter the Dragon, there it is on Netflix, let's, let's give it a watch. And I, we actually delayed it for, I think, about a month or two. And then finally it kind of fit into what we were doing because we just had our, our Brandon Lee movie uh, showed up in little Tokyo. I, I tried to get out of it, but... Was yeah. successful. <laughs> That's true. Hardcraft Joe is also like, eh, I don't really know if I want to. Um, but I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll kind of put some of my cards on the table right now. This movie blindsided me in what it ended up being as a film. Uh, and I, it blindsided me in, in a really good way, actually. So uh, I, I was not expecting what I ended up watching at all. So. But this was yeah my first time watching it. I mean, obviously, I know of the lure of Bruce Lee uh, and and how famous he was. But you know, this is my first time honestly seeing him in action. So, Joe, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, this is my first time watching it. Um, I obviously knew it was a thing and had heard of it, and you know, it's it's just a movie that people recognize the name of. Um, I was not super excited to watch it. I wasn't super thrilled with our last experience in kind of this genre-ish. I, I, I mean, we'll get into it. it I, I, you know, I have thoughts, but um, probably not. It doesn't sound like I'm saying it's thoughts. Um, but yeah, it was definitely a movie that we watched. So, <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I've never seen this movie all the way through. I have seen the last half an hour like three times. For whatever reason, whenever it was on TV, I would always catch it right near the end. Um, so I didn't even know it was mostly a spy movie. Like, I had no idea. I thought it was just like a a movie about a fighting tournament on an island with uh, an evil bad guy. And that was essentially all I knew of the movie. This movie is a James Bond ripoff. I was like, holy shit, this movie is is Bond. And it's weird because it feels like a strange combination of like the goofiness of like a Roger Moore Bond with the seriousness of uh, like a Connery Bond, like like a like an early Connery Bond. Um, It was very strange. It was strange in a good way, I think, in my opinion. But my mine too doesn't seem the same to be the case for hovercraft Joe what what's interesting is a year later the man with the golden gun comes out which is Roger Moore's second film mm-hmm. and that film focused on some kung fu some martial arts in that movie and yeah. so it, it has to be a nod to this film 
based on how big this movie was and how similar it was to trying to emulate Bond. Well, um, that's kind of the that's kind of one of the touchstones of this film is it kicked off sort of the kung fu craze in yeah. in pop culture. Uh, and then on top of that, it really catapulted um, black exploitation films uh, to a more wide audience because it had, you know, you have um, <clears throat> you have Jim Kelly in this who is a st- who becomes a black exploitation film star uh, yep. who is a great karate pra- pra- practitioner. Uh, and it kind of merged those two worlds and, you know, in, in modern films now, something like, like a Pootie Tang or a, I know it sounds weird, but like something like Pootie Tang or Undercover Brother, you see a lot of, a lot of this film in those style of films. Uh, it seems to kind of permeate everything. Yeah. It, it seems like this film kind of opens up genres. Uh, for the rest of the 70s decade, like you said, with black exploitation films, but then also, like you said, with the martial arts and the kung fu craze that comes after it, um, you know, just the fusion. Uh, also, I kind of found really interested in doing some research in that you've got a crew making this film. Half of the crew is Chinese and the other half is American trying to produce this movie and trying to make it mainstream. You're also talking historically, not trying to get nerdy on you, but it's only a year before President Nixon visits China. He becomes the first president ever to visit China. And so we have kind of a thawing of the Cold War uh, that is happening all at the same time that this pulp culture opening of China is also starting to happen. And I just kind of found it kind of fascinating that there's all of this going on, you know, in the real world with kind of politics at the time. And then this movie is coming in while you're also getting the African-American community and having their openings now with with their own film genres as well. It it really is just this whole Frankenstein-ish film overall of all these crazy things going on at this time. Yeah, I think you're right on with that part. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and, and Hovercraft Joe, I also had similar numbers from uh, from what I was looking at. Uh, a couple other things were shown, like maybe because it's been re-released so many times that it might be pushing like total sales close to a billion dollars. They were trying to say with inflation, but but it looked like there's been over a dozen re-releases in theaters of this film. So. You know, it, it, yeah, it's hard to figure out the numbers, but I also had that initial at three hundred and fifty million from its first showing. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, the director is Robert Klaus, um, who is big on action, adventure, martial arts, and horror throughout the entire seventies. From what I was looking at, uh, he also kind of helped Jackie Chan's career start up a little bit in the late seventies. From what I read. Um, and I guess he became really, really close to Bruce Lee, even though it wasn't for a very long time. I guess he actually wrote a biography on Bruce Lee in the late 80s. Oh, I was on um, that. Yeah. Do you, and do you know anything more about Klaus himself, uh, LPJ? No, I didn't really dig into it a whole lot. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess he also, he's the one that picked Jim Kelly to be in the film. They had an idea for a different star. And like you mentioned earlier, like it, you know, it started Jim Kelly's career because Jim Kelly's next movie uh, is called Black Belt Jones, which is also directed by Robert Klaus. So it kind of started that relationship as well. Yeah. And he also directed Jackie Chan's Big Brawl as well. Um, And uh, and Jim Cotta, in case you were curious who directed that, he directed it as well, which is a karate movie about gymnastics karate called Jim Cotta. Yeah, that's the one note I have written about this director is that he directed Jim Cotta, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, we could probably just get right into the cast then, I guess, right? Yeah. I, well, I mean, if you want to talk about, you know, it's written by uh, Michael Allen, who I didn't find a whole lot on it, but the idea and the concept came from Bruce Lee, kind of. And then they yeah. had an American, Warner Brothers hired American writers to kind of flush it out and make it into an actual uh, film, uh, uh, working script. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think Bruce, Bruce Lee's the first guy we need to talk about and, and probably to, to some extent, because, 
Yeah, I mean, Bruce Lee also directs quite a few scenes in this movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, He does the choreography, right? Like, he's the one responsible for the fighting scenes in this film. Uh, And I I did not know this. He he dies while finishing the the very ending of this film. Uh, And then the film comes out a, a month later. Uh, to to the worldwide audiences, I I had no idea that that this was this was it for him. You know, yeah. this was kind of the movie to to essentially put him on the map globally, and then he ends up not being able to, unfortunately, enjoy any of the benefits of that. Well, and that's kind of what was crazy about this is, um, so they filmed the entire movie silently, like they had yeah. they didn't record any audio so they did they added all the audio in post production doing ADR with the lines and adding sound effects and things and so he he died um while doing some of his final lines for the ADR but what's yeah. crazy is he was in the middle of filming the big brawl and then took a break from that to film this movie with the intention of going back to filming the big brawl but he passed away toward the end of this and so the big brawl comes out 5 years after this one does with whatever footage they had Plus, uh, they added some um, additional scenes using doubles. Uh, and I heard they added a funeral scene at the end of that movie, which I, did, I've yeah. never seen it. And I guess I, I'm assuming that they're showing that his, his character dies as well. Well, it was scenes from his actual funeral. Like yeah. They recorded his actual funeral and added it into the movie. Yeah. And I also I did not know that Bruce Lee was actually born in San Francisco mm-hmm. and, and he grew up in Hong Kong but then came back to the States for college. Apparently he went to the university of Washington uh, and that's where he kind of got the, the bug to be in cinema and, and to, to act. So I, I had no idea that any of that was, was the case either to be completely honest with you. Yeah. He's had a pretty, pretty wide varied life as far as, as far as his, his experiences go. Yeah. Apparently the day of his death, uh, he had dinner with George Lazenby. Did any of you read that? Yeah. 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 They were with George Lazenby. Yeah. They were going to do a, they were going to talk about a, a movie project together. It, it would have actually been James Bond and Bruce Lee coming together, I guess. You think he was like, Oh, I got to leave dinner. I got to do more ADR of me, like making loud yelling sounds. <laughs> right. And, but it was, he, he went somewhere and then someone with the check on him the next morning and, and he was dead. Yeah, the way it worked was so he had been suffering from um, like a ruptured disc in his back and various injuries. So I've been taking things like cortisone and some uh, painkillers for it. And um, he had g- gone out to dinner with George Lazenby and then went back to uh, uh, a female uh, martial artist's house to talk about the movie they were getting ready to do, the two of them. And she had given him some more um, painkillers and the painkillers, the active ingredient in it, I guess, caused an allergic reaction that aggravated his uh, aggravated some brain swelling in his head that he had that he had been dealing with over the past few years. And that's what ultimately killed him was excessive brain swelling. And uh, so he just didn't wake up from the nap that he laid down for. Yeah, which I mean, we can mention it now in the movie, like. You know, you, you don't see anything wrong with him. Like, he is jacked in this movie. Yeah. Like, his body is insane. Like, just it, it just looks like pure muscle yeah. when you see him in these scenes. And, and he's only 32 years old when, when, when he passes away. Just a, a complete tragedy. And, and, and unfortunately, that, that that's the case. And honestly, like, I didn't know that that was his fate. Which then knowing that his son... You know, Brandon Lee dies while filming The Crow. Good Lord, this this family has some bad. They're like the Kennedys. They got some you bad did. luck going on here. Yeah, you did. You didn't know that was his fate. Did you think he was still alive? I didn't think he was still alive. I I did. I assumed he had died prematurely. Like I didn't think he was like in his seventies and eighties. <laughs> like and then he passed away recently. But yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I just, I, I'm just giving you a hard time. Things. So. No, you're good. But I didn't, I didn't realize it was he was so young, and that it was like right when he was about to reach his height. You know of 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 who he was. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know how old Brandon Lee is. Like he must have been just an infant or a couple of years old only when his dad passed away. So that's really sad too. He kind of grew up without his father. Yeah, I think he was but, like, I think he was like four. Yeah. Um, all right. Enough with with 
with with the sad news with with Bruce Lee. We're gonna we're gonna honor him from here on out. Um, but we also have John Saxon in this film, mm-hmm. uh, Nightmare on Elm Street fame, right? Yeah. Uh, and then I, I I also always think of him in Beverly Hills Cop Three. Uh, he <laughs> I don't. Play... <laughs> I love that movie. Uh, he plays Roper uh, in the film, uh, and he just passed away last year as well. I saw. Now he did get to live to be like. 78 or 83 or something like that. Can I, um, can, I, can I ask a quick question? You say you guys say a, a nightmare of Elm Street fame, but <clears throat> I'm sorry. Why do I know him from that movie? Who like, who is he in that movie? He's like, oh, he's the, he's yeah. the, he's the police officer, right? He's the marshal or sheriff. Yeah. If I remember he's right. He's the father. That's who's the, okay. the sheriff. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I thought, I was I just thought you were an Elm Street guy. Uh, I'm more of a, I'm more of a, uh, I'm, I'm Friday a Friday the 13th. Oh, uh, gotcha, gotcha. I have seen the original Nightmare on Elm Street, but I guess I wasn't making the connection, so. Gotcha. Just curious, thank you. Yeah, no, you're good. And I guess John Saxon is a black belt judo and black belt karate? Yeah. That, that's exciting. Uh, <laughs> put, some of, put some of it to work here in the film. Uh, we mentioned uh, Jim Kelly already, uh, and this is kind of his breakout movie. Apparently, he was also the middleweight champion of the world for karate by the time he got hired. I guess they they kind of picked him up uh, in some LA studio, like doing he some owned, moves, and they're like, "We want you." Well, he owned his own um, training facility. He owned his own LA dojo, and so they just happened to stop by to, to recruit people and liked him and added him to the movie. And actually, it was supposed to be somebody else in the film, yep. and that person dropped out, and so they they cast him. Ooh, yeah. Role reversal. <laughs> and that was literally the only one I could find. <laughs> and then I, I don't have anything else on any of the other actors. Do you have a oh, yeah. uh, LP there? Okay. Yeah. Um, of course he does. I, I thought maybe 1973, maybe he didn't. But well, I got one very I, important one. Yang Z, better known as Bolo Young. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. The guy yeah. from Bloodsport. The guy from Bloodsport. Um, and this is where he got his name. He got his name. He, he had just adopted his character's name and took it as his own stage name. Because I, I was watching this movie and I, I do have a few notes that are kind of like, is this the guy from Bloodsport? It looks like the guy from Bloodsport. Uh, and then I kept referring to him as the guy that looks like the guy from Bloodsport. But then today when I was finishing my research, I was like, oh, it is the guy from Bloodsport. Yep. And this was his first film. Uh, he just, for whatever reason, hit it off with uh, Bruce Lee. And Bruce Lee's like, you want to be my film? He's like, okay. And so he just put him in the film. Um also, uh, some of the uh, like Jackie Chan's in this uh, yeah. as various the, our, roles. Our boys from Meals on Wheels. Yep, are boys from Meals on Wheels. They're all in this. Uh, that whole Sam group. Sam Hong. Yep. In uh, a uh, Bio Bio Yoon or whatever yep. his name is. Bao Yen. They're all in it. Yeah, they're all in it. It's a little like stuntman and stuff like that. Yeah. But well, this yeah. is where they got their start. Uh, was this film, and then this just kind of rocketed them to uh, their own careers. Yeah. Um, should we, uh, go with the music right now? Sure. We'll do that. So fantastic, fantastic score by this. Uh, it's a a soundtrack that actually ended up getting gold status. It sold so many copies. Uh, and And go ahead. I was going to say the guy is Argentinian that wrote the soundtrack. His name is Lalo Schifrin. Uh, I couldn't find anything else he had done. Uh, besides, like some other black exportation films, but um, well, from what I read, from what I read in the seventies, he was a uh, like a famous jazz musician. Not one that I know of. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but in the nineteen seventies is probably my least known jazz history that I know at all. So, well, there you go. Uh, no. So this is the theme from Enter the Dragon. <laughs> Thank you. 
classic seventies rock. It is oh, yeah. just an unreal theme. It, it, it's got the soul, man. It's it's got the black soul. You got the wah wah guitar playing. You got the synthesizers rolling, and then you got in between it as well. Like, <laughs> but that song is is truly a representation of this film. Like, it yes. is just a conglomeration of everything. It absolutely is, <laughs> uh, and I loved it. And when, it, when as soon as it came on. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm liking this a lot. Granted, it showed up like eight minutes into the movie. Did you notice that? That like the, oh, yeah. the credit under the dragon is like 10 minutes into the film. I was wondering when it was going to show up, if at all. Um, but yeah. All right. Well, that's a good segue to get into the plot. <laughs> well, I, I had one more thing, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, Stop the present. I'm sorry. Well, actually, I had, I had two more things. Oh, I'm God. sorry. Now it's just I know. Well, the first thing. So I don't have. Uh, like a lightning round, but I do have like a pop quiz, I guess. Okay. Uh, so this film uh, made, is on the list from the Library of Congress to the National Film Registry as being culturally significant. So it is preserved forever within the Library of Congress. And so we have actually done, believe it or not, uh, seven other films that are in the Library of Congress for being culturally significant and being preserved. Okay. Do you know what those seven films are that we've covered? Searchers. We have talked about a few of them. Yep, Searchers. Searchers. Um, Goldfinger. Nope. No. It's one of the James Bonds, though. I know one of them is in there. Nope. Really? <laughs> I Not that I remember. Um, Maybe it's one that we didn't cover. Um, <laughs> Now that you remember, you just had these off the top of your head, or are you looking at uh, Jurassic Park? Jurassic Park? Um, face off. <laughs> yes, face, face off. off. Uh, Die Hard. Die Hard. Terminator 2. Ter- uh, the first one. First one, okay. Uh, what else did we cover that's called? It Rambo? Nope. That's the first one? No. Nope. Uh, how many is that? Four? Yep. Uh, oh, Joe, you've got nothing here? Come on now. I, I mean, you've been on these. Some of them. Well, I, we've done a lot of movies. I don't I don't know which ones are culturally significant and which ones aren't. Uh, Predator? I mean, okay. No, no what Predator. No Predator? No, no Predator. I was expecting that one. Uh, all right. I don't know. What else? Hurt Locker. Really? Right. Yeah. Uh, that just this year I got announced in 2020 or last year, 2020, uh, the matrix. Oh, yep. And top gun eh. was the last one. All right. <laughs> and then if you include the nightmare on last action podcast, uh, you can throw in their exorcist Halloween, Night of the living dead and the shining. So we've done pretty well there. And, and the other, the only other thing I wanted to bring up before we start to get into the plot here is, um, I guess the video game significance of this film as well, I think, needs to be addressed since we are part of a video game network here at GameZilla Media. So I did not know. Apparently, the entire franchise of Street Fighter is based off of this movie, which now it kind of makes sense, right? Well, that's the thing. This movie is this movie is the basis or inspired a lot of things. So you get Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat. Uh, Shang Tsung is based on the villain of this film. Uh, Liu Kang is based on Bruce Lee. Um, you've got Dragon Ball is actually based on a lot of the characters within this film. Um, th- there's tons of things that that come from Enter the Dragon. That's why it is so culturally su- significant is because, you know, it, it's in kind of everything in some way. You, you can you can draw you can draw lines to this film from a lot of different a lot of different genres, a lot of different, a lot of different things in pop culture. Yeah. Apparently the game double dragon, the yep. characters are Roper and Williams. That's right. So, and, and Billy go. Lee and Jimmy Lee. Those are the, those are the main characters. Yeah. So, yeah. So I just, I wanted to bring that up. And then this movie also had two other titles going for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Blood and steel and Hans Island. Uh, and they felt like those two names wasn't going to be enough maybe to grab people's attention. So they went with Enter the Dragon, which I'll just say right now, what does this movie have to do with Enter the Dragon? Well, Bruce Lee is known as the Dragon. 
Oh, see, I didn't know that. Yeah. In so, real life or in the movie? Within the context of, like, his persona. He is Bruce the Dragon Lee. Or, oh, or Bruce okay. Lee the Dragon. Or which is why which is why his 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 autobiographical or his biographical film is called Dragon: The Bruce Lee Story. Gotcha. Okay. Well, there we go. I did not know any of that, so I guess Enter the Dragon makes a little bit more sense since he's being entered into the the worldwide fame, and then unfortunately he died. But uh, I think we're probably ready to start to get into this, right? Yeah. Which I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, we we start off. With uh, Bruce Lee, who goes by the name Lee in the film. So that makes that nice and easy for us. Um, you know, he's he's got a fight going on outside. A bunch of other people are kind of watching him. Um, diaper. Yeah, you know, they, they both got on uh, some diapers. And the guy he's fighting is, is, a, is a little chubster. But when that guy starts doing cartwheels, I'm like, oh, shit. You know who that is? Sam O'Hung. Sam, uh, Sam O'Hung, yeah. See, I didn't watch, what was it you guys were talking Meals about? Meals on Wheels. Yep. I did not see Meals on Wheels. No, I wasn't no. on that episode. So Wheels on Meals. Oh, sorry. Wheels, Wheels on Meals. Meals. I forgot. Yeah, they, they didn't want to open a movie that started with the letter M. I forgot. Yeah, so that's when, um, yeah, that's, that's when we also see Bruce Lee just jacked, just pure muscle uh, as he's fighting this guy. And so, you know, after he's victorious, uh, he starts talking with, uh, I don't know, a monk, I guess you would say. Yeah. Uh, which is when I first realized that the that this movie is entirely being dubbed over. But it seemed pretty obvious that the monk is definitely talking Chinese. Yes. Whereas Bruce Lee is, is indeed talking English because his, his mouth is matching there. And it seems like the rest of the movie, actually, everyone else seems to be talking English. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just kind of that beginning scene where that, that older monk Definitely seems to be speaking a different language, which I'm going to assume is is man- Mandarin. But um, ultimately, they they give a little bit of a, a background about the the the, Sh- the Shaolin, is that right? Shaolin Temple, Shaolin Temple, yep. uh, and how there is a guy named Han that has that was part of it and has kind of branched out on his own and is doing bad things. And so it's up to Lee to kind of reclaim uh, the lost honor of the temple. And he gets partnered up with uh, British Secret Service. So yeah, throw and, in James Bond. And that was the weird thing. Like, is Bruce Lee an, a Secret Service agent? Because they, they, they seem like they have some kind of rapport, like they know each other. They've worked together. Yeah, I, I, it's it's not I feel like it's not clearly defined. I mean, I think I, I don't think they've worked together before. I think it's just supposed to be like they knew that Han was from this group of monks. So they went there to kind of talk to him about it. And he, Bruce Lee is like the number one dude there. So they're like, well, we're going to give you this mission to do it. Yeah. Which right, which well, we do sense. have to. Yeah. And we do have to remember, like in 1973, Hong Kong is controlled by the U.K., yeah. It's it's a British territory. It's not controlled by the Chinese. So, you know, it, to that extent, I guess it, it does make sense that he could be an agent, you know, from the Chinese side working with the British. Um, so I think that is important to, to, to keep in mind, maybe, and trying to make some sort of consistency. Otherwise, it does seem extremely random that the British would, <laughs> would be working with the Chinese. Like, we've got to remember that. No, that was, that was a terrible thing. Well, I think, I think they, needed, they needed somebody because – they don't do a great job of conveying it, but I think it's like, well, he was already invited to be in the tournament, so they needed someone that was going to be in the tournament. But then it seemed like he had no idea what the tournament was, even though he was invited to be in it. So I, I don't know that didn't I, that didn't really come across to me. But right. yeah, I, I agree. I didn't. You know, we we find out that Han is throwing a tournament, uh, a martial art tournament, and yeah, Lee Lee is invited to it, but whether or not like he was already invited or because he was working with the British that, that got him involved. We, we don't really know. But either way, he's told to to go on this island where the tournament's going to be and just find out what's going on. But then we find out that there's even a little bit more to this because then we get this personal story from, is it his dad or a relative? Who's the old man that talks to him? I thought it was I thought it was just one of like the sort of like the leaders leaders of the temple or something. Mm-hmm. All right. So so he shares a story that he was with Lee's sister uh, three years back, 
and we get a flashback. Actually, there's quite a few flashbacks in this movie. Uh, <laughs> and this flashback is Lee's sister that that commits suicide. It kills herself because she's being approached by Han's goon, whose name is O'Hara, uh, who's who's a white guy, and he's just kind of leading this 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 band of I don't know misfits, ruffian, yeah. ruffian, ruffians, ruffians. There we go. And I mean, there's an impressive scene, you know, the chick holds her own for quite a bit. You know, she's fighting, kicking ass because it's like, I don't know, 20 verse one. Um, But then she finds herself trapped in this like garage, I guess. And there's a piece of glass on the ground and she decides they're not going to take me. I'm assuming they're going to probably rape her or whatever it may be. and, And she decides to kill herself. So, you know, Han, so Lee finds out that, hey, this guy O'Hara is, is Han's goon. So there is this now personal vendetta that can come with this mission as well, right? Yep. And so from there, um, we get some more flashbacks, right? So, you know, because ultimately there's kind of three protagonists in this movie. You've got Lee, who we've just talked about. And so now enter John Saxon, who is... Um, Roper, right? And we find out that Roper is, he seems to be some wealthy guy that doesn't seem to handle his gambling well, problem. He doesn't seem to be a wealthy guy. He seems to be a gambler who likes to pretend that he's wealthy. But the reality is he doesn't actually have any money currently. And that's kind of the crux of right. his situation. He's entering this tournament uh, to gain some wealth is essentially what it is. But he's got a lot of suitcases. Got a lot of suitcases. Have a lot of suitcases. I felt bad for the chick uh, or the guy that was rowing the boat, and there's like ten suitcases in that <laughs> damn thing, and he's just sitting there. So, so yeah, we get, you know, we we kind of get his introduction a little bit. Uh, three guys jump him on the golf course. I'm, I'm betting it's just money that he owes uh, that he can't pay back right now. So he's able to show off his martial art, art skills there. And then we get introduced to um, Williams, Williams, who is our, 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 our black protagonist, and we get kind of his flashback, and culturally, 1973, his flashback is he's getting pulled over on the side of the road for just walking down the street by a bunch of cops. He beats the shit out of the cops, steals the cop car, and apparently that's his motivation to be in this tournament as well. Uh, well, I feel like he was going to the tournament anyways, right? Like, wasn't that? Yeah, a thing? he was like, on his way was, to the tournament. He was on his way to the airport, and <laughs> then he beat the cops up and stole their car. Yes, exactly. Uh, so all of them converge on this boat in Hong Kong that is then going to take them to the island, right? And, you know, we can see that uh, Roper definitely has got gambling issues. There's this weird fight between... Praying mantises? Yeah, pray. You know, you know, classic praying mantis fighting. <laughs> Bizarre. Like, you know, I guess we're not doing cockfighting or anything like that. We just have two insects fighting each other. I don't know. But but Roper decides to bet against Lee, and Roper loses. <laughs> so we kind of get that scene, and then there's this other white fella that's on the boat. That's a real douchebag, right? He's like messing with the crew. And because he like like some guys like got a was like a carton of oranges and he like knocks it down on the ground like a real douchebag. And so Lee ends up talking to him and they're going to like exchange their martial arts skills. So Lee's like, yeah, you know, I can't do this on the boat. There's not enough space. So how about we we get in this little boat on the side and, and we'll we'll row over to this island nearby and I'll show you the skills on the beach. And so he ends up kicking the, the guy's ass into the boat and then just sets it off. So the crew members get to have their fun and the guy like pretty much drowns in this little rowboat that's being carried behind here. So he... No, he doesn't yeah. drown. He's no, like, he, he doesn't, doesn't drown. drown. I said he practically drowns. <laughs> no, he comes back and he gets his ass kicked later. Yeah. So. I, I have a note that says there's like, and I know this is uh, hyperbole, but there's like, I feel like there's just like 20 minutes of them just showing that boat sailing. Yeah. <laughs> like I have a note where it's like, they finally get to the fucking Island because I feel like it was just like shots of the boat 
moving through the water. And I'm like, all right, I feel like they were padding the runtime a little bit. Yeah. Uh, when they land on the island, you just see hundreds and hundreds of people doing some martial arts skills and practice. Uh, and then there's this banquet the first night that they're there. Okay. Um, there's a lot of shit that goes on in this banquet. Yeah, I don't know that we need. To, I don't know that we really need to get into a lot of the banquet part of it. It's not really consequential to the plot at all. It's not. But why are there so many bird cages on the ceiling? There's like a hundred birds. There's a lot of birds. Yeah, there's a lot of birds. It's it's bird very bird. odd. There's 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 weird things happening. <laughs> yeah, there's bizarre stuff going on. Yeah. There's people like in a procession with food, just kind of walking around in a circle. Sure. And then there's sumo wrestling going on. There's acrobats all over. It's bizarre. But Han does introduce himself to everybody to say, hey, the tournament's about to begin. Best of luck. All that good shit. And so, um, yeah, uh, we get into the morning. Uh, and we see this kind of first fight, which goes to Williams, I believe, right? Yeah, he yeah. beats up the jerky guy from the boat. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it, like, beats the shit out of him, pretty much. Uh, and, and that Roper fights, I, I do like when Roper fights, because he's, like, of course, he's, like, a degenerate gambler, so he's, like, gambling on Williams' fight, and then he, like, he's, like, hey, get, like, get these odds on my fight. So he's like purposely like getting his ass kicked at the beginning of the fight until the guy like agrees with them and the odds. And then he's like, Williams is like, okay. So then he like beats the guy up immediately. I did find that kind of funny. Yeah. That was pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, and then we start to see boobs again. We've got like a consecutive streak of boobs in our film. <laughs> you guys notice this? Yeah. There's been, you know, a couple movies. Yeah. And, and so we kind of find out a little bit of what Han is trying to do here. He's kind of trying to pamper. Do we? Well, I feel like so. Like I feel like his overall plan in Criminal Empire is a mystery to me. Like, exactly. He does some opium, and he's got, like, prostitutes, but then he's, like, do, doing something to, like, kidnap women, and he's got a bunch of guys in cells that he found at, like, Bars, like I have no idea what his overall plan or agenda is. Yeah, and, and he seems to have his own private army. Well, well, all right. Let me back off. I, I guess I didn't quite maybe say it the right way. I guess you get an idea of what he's trying to do with the competition for the tournament, right? He's trying to pamper these people to kind of weaken them a little bit. You know, like he's going to overstuff them with food. He's going to have them. I think have all these prostitutes just I, so he can have fun. I think know. he's trying to recruit them. I think he's well, trying to recruit them into his later, army. Though. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Do you think that's the case? I feel like at first he's trying to make sure that his people win, and then maybe he can show he can see some of their skills and bring them back. I don't know. I, I don't think so. Because look, at, he brings Roper down there, tries to recruit Roper. Right. Yeah, he basically talks to Lee, or he doesn't really talk to Lee, but he. Um, yeah, he said he was willing to bring him on. Willing to bring him on. Yeah. Williams, you know, he just straight up kills. But, uh, yeah. you know, I, I think that's what this whole thing is, is it's an opportunity for him to recruit more people like O'Hara or O'Hara to uh, to his art, to his personal army. Yeah, I guess my thought on it is, again, going back to the James Bond relationship. It's got like a Dr. No feel, you know, like a guy on an island, mysterious. We don't really know what he's up to. And that's exactly what's happening here, right? It's, you know, he's a little bit more open than Dr. No is, but he's he's doing the same mysterious shit. You know, they still got governments that are, like, wondering what this guy is all about and what he's up to. It, it's been a minute since I watched Dr. No, but I feel like if I watched it, I could tell you what Dr. No's plan was and, like, what was going on with him. I can't tell you what Han's plan is, other than he has an army and he likes to host karate tournaments and he makes opium. Like, he's a bad guy, I get that. But I just don't understand. I don't, and, and I get it. It's not the point of the movie to understand what his criminal operation is. I just feel like it, it's very glossed over. It is. And, and But I, I do agree, too. I think that that's intentional. I don't think they wanted to get into the nitpickiness of it. I think it was more just trying to showcase the, the splendor and the glamour of what he has. And, and honestly, again, just trying to go back to remembering it. This is probably the first look of a lot of Western audiences in, in getting an idea of what, again, martial arts, Kung Fu China is all about. 
So I think it's it's trying to expose a lot of that too. Yeah, and you know what? New audiences. Nothing against Hong Kong, but Hong Kong in the seventies looked scuzzy. Oh yeah, <laughs> right. No, it did not, not look. Good. It did not look appealing in the least. No. Uh, and so Lee goes James Bond style. You know, he sneaks out in the middle of the night and he's kind of spying around. Uh, he goes into this garden where there's a snake. I guess I read that he actually got bit by that snake. Yeah. Uh, in real oh. life. Yeah, the, the snake's not till the second time. Oh, the first time he goes, and then they kind of find him. They find the out first time, the first, Yeah, the first time he just randomly stumbles upon the entrance to the secret underground lair. Yeah. <laughs> he's just walking around. He's like, oh, what's this? And it's like an entrance, and he has a rope with him, and he drops down into it. Yeah, he beats a couple guys up along the way, and then um, Williams sees him as well. And then the next morning, when before they start their fights, uh, Han makes an announcement that, hey, you know, someone was off lurking about. That's not acceptable. You violated kind of the rules that we have here with this tournament. And so he was pretty upset about that. Uh, and that is where... Um, Bloodsport guy. Bully. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So that's where Lee gets his turn against O'Hara. Uh, and just fucking massacres this guy, yeah, right? He straight up kills him. Yeah, and, and he tries to fight back with like a bottle uh, at the very, very end, and he that doesn't work either. I guess I read though that apparently they used a real bottle, and he did legit like cut Bruce Lee. Like yeah, apparently he lost control hand. of it and it yeah. cut his hands. Yeah, but yeah. I mean he. Oh, go ahead. I, I was just going to say that it, it was my favorite part of the movie, though, like before he was getting to, ready to fight that dude. That dude just tried to be tough and he broke the board and uh, Bruce Lee told him that boards don't hit back. Uh-huh. And then he just then he just like annihilated him. That was that was my favorite part of the movie. Yeah. And, and you know, we get the the vocal effects. The, hi, 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 all that kind of stuff is going on in this scene big you time. Know, and that's one of those things I always thought people were exaggerating. They were not. If anything, they were underplayed. Agreed. Uh, And we start to get some slow-mo getting brought in as well throughout the film. A lot of slow-mo scenes of the fighting that's going on here as well. Um, Williams is requested to meet with Han because Williams also snuck out that night. Uh, But he just kind of like chilled out and had a cigarette, I guess. He he just wanted to sit down in in the moonlight. That was it. Yeah, it was, it was a long night of, of having sex with all those ladies because when he got to pick the prostitutes, he picked like six of them. Uh, <laughs> um, and That's so, yeah. did you did you see that they said they were having trouble casting prostitutes, so they just hired real prostitutes? <laughs> did see that? <laughs> Lord, oh boy! Uh, and so Han tries to confront Williams. He's like, "Hey, I know that you were out last night. You were sneaking around on my shit." And Williams is like, "No, I wasn't." And they're like, all right, we're going to fight about this. And so Han and Williams fight it out. And Williams starts off okay, but then Han pulls it in the fucking third gear and just starts beating the living shit out of Williams. Yeah, if there was anything in this movie that was completely unbelievable, that was it. <laughs> like, yeah, especially Han, Han is like, what, 50 years old, 60 years he's, old? He's, he's missing a hand. <laughs> yeah. He has like a one hand in that scene that yeah. he's fighting with. Yes, he does. But I, I feel like, and maybe, maybe this was clear to you guys, but like even in my notes, I'm like, I maybe it, like it seemed like he was dead. Like it did. It wasn't clear to me that he killed him. And then when Williams showed up again, another scene, I'm like, oh, he's just injured. And I'm like, oh no, because he's dead. Like I, I was confused by whether or not he killed him. Or yeah, not. it was ambiguous. I, I wasn't sure either. Yeah, when he was all tied up and hung by the rope about oh, to yeah, go down that into was... that pool, I thought he was still alive. And yeah, then he was dropping too. him in there to die. But yeah, he really sounded was... like he had killed him already. Apparently that was a pool of acid, too. I, didn't, yeah, I, didn't. I feel like that wasn't very clear to me. But anyways, it was not news to me. I, I also read that it was actually Roper that was supposed to die. But... <laughs> But Saxon was pissed that he was going to be written out of the movie early, so he got his agent to flip it to be Williams to be the one to die. Right. So, classic there. And then, then I, I laughed at this, because then we get back to the next morning, and Roper is getting a tour of Han's museum, 
and Han legit pulls out a white cat, Blofeld style, and is petting it while he's showing all of the antiques uh, that he's collected through time. It's like, wow, now you're not even, like, <laughs> like now you're just directly saying this is a James Bond movie for the most part. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And so that is where essentially Roper gets introduced to all the craziness that Han's up to. Uh, he's kidnapping people. Chicks are disappearing. They're getting tattoos on their face. He's dealing out opium. Shows them the whole operation and says to him, yeah, like, do you want to join me uh, in this crusade that we're trying to do here? And, and Roper's like, I need some time to think about it, which I feel like if you're a villain, like, you, you don't give time to think about it, do you? But, well, I feel like it seemed like maybe he might have been on board, but then he shows him that he killed Williams. Yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah. Because one of the things you didn't mention is that, like, Williams and Roper, they established that they apparently served in Vietnam together. Like, they knew right. each other and they were buddies. Yeah, um, a relationship. Yeah, so, but then he shows him that he killed Williams, and that's when he's kind of against it. Um, but it's the second time, while well, this is going on, when Lee sneaks back into the lair where he goes to go back in the entrance and there's a the snake there. And he, like, he like gets the snake, and he shoves the snake in the bag, and I'm like, oh, good, he's going to, like, hit the bag and kill it. No, he, like, carries <laughs> Takes it with him. him. And then he, like, pulls out of the bag and throws it in, like, the guard room where the guys are, and they freak out. So I was, he like, tosses it, like... He does it like a grenade. <laughs> like, yeah. here you go. <laughs> and so those two guys, they literally jump out of the window of this, like, <laughs> communications room. Yeah. And then he goes in and he sends the message. Because, like, Brathwaite earlier is like, oh, once you have evidence that there's stuff going on, send the message and people come help you out. Which he does, but, like, it's inconsequential, inconsequential to the rest of the movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, but that's, like... When he when they find out and that's when like he just beats up like an entire army of guys in the cave. Well, he beats up and kills all these guys. That's the one thing I was surprised about in this movie is that he like some of these guys. It's like it's clear that he's just straight up murdering them. When oh he's, yeah, oh yeah, breaking their necks and stuff, which I I thought was interesting. Well, that interesting makes it sound morbid, but you know what I mean. Like he wasn't just like kicking guys; he was like breaking their necks and like stomping on them on the ground and stuff like that. So. Yeah, um, apparently in this scene, it, someone took count. He kills 51 people. Which is <laughs> <laughs> just, just nuts. Yeah, it was a lot. And and he, you know, it's a cool scene. You know, he's just taking these guys out, and, and he starts hand-to-hand combat. Then he's got, like, some he's six. St- he's got a staff, and then the staff breaks. And he's yeah, got some trucks. Yeah. yeah. Like, he's cool. got some sweet moves. And then he gets kind of trapped in, like, this circle dungeony cave type of thing and and that's where han kind of says like hey you know we were thinking about adding you into this as well um but then it goes into the next day the next day of the tournament and it's supposed to be lee versus roper right so roper has to essentially show his allegiance to han and and they're supposed to fight it out and then that's where roper's like nah man like this is some weird shit you're doing I'm going to side with Lee on this one. And that's where the big man comes to fight. Bolo. He fights yeah. Bolo. And I have a note that says he beats Bolo possibly by kicking him in the dick. I think he kicks him in the dick. Yo, yeah. Once Roper kicks him in the dick, Bolo cannot recover very well after that. No, not at all. Given, given the history of that on this podcast, I had to, you know, we had to mention it. Oh, yeah. Dick kicks all the way around. I will also say I thought Roper was not going to live. So it was kind of like I thought that was kind of a nice surprise that that he kind of he played dirty, which he's a gambler. I guess that's not too surprising. Uh, and he pulls it out because Bolo's fucking huge. Oh and yeah, that little, yeah, and that little white guy beat him. <laughs> so. and, then, and, that, and then it really turns into just like just, James, just like James Bond type thing because like the female agent that's on the island, we didn't talk about it at all, but she's not that no. important to the movie. She lets out all the prisoners that he has in the dungeon, and they're all wearing these black outfits. So they run out, and there's a huge brawl between all the karate school guys in their white outfits, and it's very reminiscent of, like, the end of a James Bond movie oh, where yeah. you have, like, the two, good, the two like, the bad guys in their magic outfits and the good guys in their uh-huh. magic outfits. And it's just, like, a huge brawl. 
Uh, and Han, he like, I guess like it wasn't clear to me until this point that Han had a fake hand because he like yeah. takes he takes off the hand and then he puts on like a claw type hand. Yeah. He goes uh, shredder. He, he goes yeah, shredder. Just got big like, shredder from Ninja Turtles. So it's, yeah, it's kind of like a claw. So he's fighting with the claw hand. Um, but the claw hand gets knocked off, so then he puts on he puts on like a knife hand. But to me, it literally looked like someone took like a knife block from yeah. the kitchen and just put the knives in backwards. So instead of the blades being in, because it's like a square block with knives sticking out of it that he gets into his hand. Um, I also have a note that maybe you guys can answer answer me this, okay? So Hans guys, it's a karate school. They're training. They're in geese. Got it. Why do all the prisoners that get let loose apparently know kung fu too? Because <laughs> they're all because, like, because, they're not just like brawling. They're like doing kicks and moves. And I'm like, why do they know kung fu? Because it's a racist '70s movie, and uh, if you're Asian, you know karate. Fair enough. There was there was a different island across the way that had their own tournament going on, and that's <laughs> it was he was trying to drive out his competitor. That's that's okay. Yeah, that's good. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so then the, so then the brawl ensues. Brawl continues. Yeah. People are dying yeah. left and right. And People are dying everywhere. A bunch of chicks keep dying too. Like the chick that was kind of showing them the tour and introducing them everywhere, she ends up being dead. And then we get this ultimate showdown where, yeah, I mean, Han is getting his swipes with that weird blade thing on Lee quite a bit. And then again, like this time around, I guess James Bond knocks off Enter the Dragon because they get into this like room of mirrors. Yeah. Yeah. Which that's kind of how the man with the golden gun ends as well with all these mirrors. But again, that's a year later. Um, And it's a cool scene, you know, because he can't see where he is. And, and I personally feel like, like it created some good suspense. Like Lee, Lee cannot see at all where, where he's going to be coming from. And, And he does not have a weapon. You know, he's just fighting on his own. I, um, I agree. So I think it went on. A, I mean, like I got the idea. Yeah, it, it went on a little bit longer than it needs to. Because then ultimately, his solution is he just breaks all the mirrors. Right. He's just yeah. like, oh, yeah, well, I'll just break all the mirrors. And then, like, because earlier Han had tried to stab him with like this like spear, spear, and it got caught in the door. So he ends up like breaking all the mirrors, and he like kicks Han, and Han flies backwards and like impales himself on the spear that's stuck in the door. Yep. Yeah. I do like as well, there was an earlier scene in the beginning of the fighting where Lee, like, is bleeding from his torso, and he licks it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, like, that's kind of badass. Like, I ain't fucking going anywhere, man. Let's fight this out. I kind of liked that. Because then after Han gets killed, like, he goes back out to the main yard, and, like, all the bad guys are kind of taken care of, and him and Rober kind of exchange, like, a yo, we're, you know. And then the, the army... Maybe the army? I don't know. I guess it's the army. British intelligence? They show up? Well, no, because remember the British intelligence guy is like, well, we're not going to go in, but we we know people we can send in. So anyways, they show up, and that's the end of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's That's it. It It just ends. Mission accomplished, apparently. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You want to just get to rating this thing? (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't really, have anything really else hit to it. say. Yeah, yeah, I don't really have anything else to say here. All right, well, let me let me hit the button. All right, uh, I don't know who wants to go first. Anyone? I, I can go. I can go first. Okay. I I really enjoyed this movie. I didn't think I was going to. Uh, I I thought I was. This, this is not at all what I thought this movie was going to be. But, I mean, I love James Bond. And this is a James Bond knockoff with Kung Fu. So I was like, okay. And, and the music got me on board. I, it's, it's crazy. It's like a Roger Moore James Bond type movie. Uh, but I really enjoyed it. I, I'm going to give it four machine guns. I, I think it was a great watch. It's entertaining. I might buy it. Okay. Uh, Joe, you want to go next? Or you want me to go next? I, I, I can go next. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I just I, I I don't think I enjoyed this movie as much as you guys. Um, I, I can respect its cultural significance, and I can respect like Bruce Lee in the movie just because of what he's able to do. Like, 
like it just like you said, he's jacked in this movie and all the stuff that he does. It's amazing. And the fight scenes are cool, but I mean, like, yeah, I guess it's a Roger Moore, James Bond movie, but I don't like Roger Moore, James Bond movies. I, I don't know. It just, it didn't, I, I don't know. I, I didn't love it. it, it I, I, I'm really torn on it because it wasn't, a, it wasn't a hard movie to get through. Like it wasn't like, oh, this is terrible, but it just, it didn't interest me that much, you know? Uh, the fighting was cool. Bruce Lee's awesome, but I'm, I'm going to get two and a half machine guns. Okay. You know what? And I'm in between the two of you. I enjoyed this movie. I liked a lot of it. The fighting was good. I was surprised by the um, spy aspect of it. And I kind of dug that, but there are parts of this movie that just kind of drag on a little bit, like the boat stuff. Like, you know, there's stuff that just is uninteresting in it and um, kind of takes you out of the moment. Uh, but I enjoyed the movie overall. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go three and a half machine guns with it. So it's something I think people should watch. I think I think everyone should watch it. Some of you are gonna love it. Some of you are gonna think meh. But I don't think anyone's gonna be disappointed in it. Yeah. No. I, I mean, I, 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 despite my low rating, I will agree it's definitely worth watching. I mean, even just for the significant significance of it and to see Bruce Lee in action, it's definitely worth watching. It's just not something that I feel like I ever really need to revisit. I mean, like uh, maybe it's just that era of filmmaking that I'm just not that excited about, but it, it I, yeah, definitely see it though. If you haven't seen, it, especially with it being free on Netflix and it's not a long watch. I think it was like hour and a half, maybe a little over. So it, I mean, it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah. It, it made me realize a little bit more why people are into it. You know what I mean? Like, because I never understood what the, you know, what what it was that made people really enjoy these kind of movies. And, and when we saw Five Deadly Venoms back in the day, you know, I, Hovercraft Joe and I, we were we were on the same side on that one. Like that, it, a lot of things didn't make sense there, and, and we didn't particularly enjoy it. But for me, this one did reach out to me a little bit more. So I'm happy that was the case. Hovercraft Joe, maybe we'll find that kung fu movie for you. I well, know. I mean, like. I'll take a Jackie Chan movie any sure. day of the week. Like those, those I find the action more exciting. I find I, I I don't know. I find those movies entertaining. This one, like I like the action and I like Bruce Lee in it. It's just the movie surrounding it was very blasé to me and not you know very generic and not interesting to me. You know. Well, and Sphinx, I think the difference between this movie and Five Deadly Venoms is. This is a movie made by Americans for an American audience, whereas Five Deadly Venoms is a straight classic kung fu movie. It is a it is a Chinese Hong Kong film like there is no American influence on it whatsoever. Um, Yeah, that's a good point. This is this was Bruce Lee's American debut, essentially. Um, And, you know, when this movie was being made and when it was released, there was talk that this would be like a spy Kung Fu series of films that would have come out. Um, you know, it would have been something to rival James Bond, uh, which is why George Lazenby was having dinner with them. Maybe, you know, and, and, and I could see that. I could see that. I could see that in this film. I could see this being the, the launching point of, of a film series like that, you know? Um, but yeah, I think we hit this thing pretty hard. You guys want anything else? I think we covered it pretty well, yeah. All right. Well, um, check us out, GameZillaMedia.com. Uh, we've got us. We've got the GameZilla podcast. we got Legend of Retro. Uh, we got Noobs and Dragons. Uh, we got a lot of stuff for everybody. We have streamers. We have um, all, all kinds of things for you to enjoy. Just check us out, GameZillaMedia.com. We'll find there'll be something there for you. And uh, also, check us out on Discord. We love chatting with people. You know, we're Agreed. we're on there all the time. Uh, and, uh, it's nice to hear from fans because, you know, we don't know if anybody listens to the show. Uh, so hearing from you lets us know that either you like something, you don't like something. If you want to suggest something, something we can do better, something we should do more of, you know, let us know. We're always open to ideas and suggestions. Uh, and we love talking to the people on discord. Um, so thank you to the people on discord. And if you're not on discord, join us, it'd be great. And uh, for rating on any of the podcast uh, apps that you use. Absolutely. So we really appreciate those ratings. All right. Well, in that case, this episode of the Last Action Podcast 
has been terminated. Fun. Twitter day back. <laughs> <laughs>